to Making Love with your host, Colette Milan. All of us want to be loved. In this show, we'll explore how lovemaking really does make more love in your relationship and how essential real love is to good sex. Tune in for advice on how to become a better lover and how to love sex more. Here is Colette Milan. Hello. Welcome to Making Love Radio. I'm Colette Milan, and I'll be your host. I'm a psychotherapist, marriage counselor, and an ASECT certified sex therapist. But the most important credential I have is that I've been married for 38 years, and I've experienced firsthand the many challenges that bombard and wear down intimate connection. I've learned how to work through those challenges, how to really unconditionally love and how to make more love in my relationship through the skills of delicious lovemaking. In this show, I'll explore with you how to have true love and great sex. In these shows, you will learn how to really love, how to become a better lover, and how to enjoy sex more. You'll see how lovemaking really does make more love in a relationship and how essential Real love is to good sex. My guest today is Dr. Mark Malin. Dr. Malin is a board-certified clinical sexologist and co-director of Malin Relationship Health Clinic in Ogden, Utah. He is an assistant professor of sexology and an ICP certified couple communication instructor. He specializes in relationship health care mindfulness, and healing from psychosexual shame. His research has been published in several peer-reviewed scientific journals. He has also been featured as a guest expert on radio and television discussing sexual health and better relationships. I'm especially excited about Dr. Malin being my guest today, not only because he's my clinical co-director, but more importantly, because he is my husband and my lover. Welcome, Dr. Malin. Oh, Colette, that was a great introduction, and uh, I'm so excited to do this with you today, um, because we're actually going to be able to verbally through the work we're doing, um, show couples um, our own relationship and, and how we make love. So, But before we get into the meat, um, you know, um, you introduced me as Mark Milan and you're Colette, or Mark Malan and you're Colette Milan. <laughs> Gets um, even we get confused about this. <laughs> and so um, could you maybe for the audience um, explain why you're Colette Milan and I'm Mark Malan? <laughs> Well, actually, as you know, your family came from Italy, and in Italy, the name is pronounced Milan, but in the U.S., it's pronounced Malin, and for a long time, we've been known as the Malins. But one thing about our relationship is that we're like most couples that we see. Most couples have something kindred that they both relate to that brings them together like soulmates. But on the other hand, most couples are polar opposite in the way they approach life. And as you know, that causes a lot of challenges in the relationship. As I know. As you know, yes. So, as you will come to find out, 
Dr. Malin and I both have very strong personalities. And while we are one because of our common passions, we also have opposite perspectives on a lot of things, one of them being how to pronounce our last name. So we've decided to be a united team in our marriage and our career while both being very true to who we both individually are. Hence, we are Dr. Malin and Colette Milan. Like Masters and Johnson, we're Malin and Milan. So enough about us. Let's get started. Yeah, she's been doing too much talking here, so it's it's my turn to take over here. And I'm going to take the lion's share of the time because I'm really excited to um, talk about this topic that we um, educate people about in the clinic about psychosexual shame. Um, So, So, Mark, I wanted to just ask you, when you're working with couples around sexuality, how important is it to you to address shame? Well, it's essential. Um, It's essential because um, shame really is the most damaging emotion couples can experience in their relationship. It can trigger anger, fear, resentment, depression, anxiety. It's really the root cause of many of the mental health disorders that we see, um, addictions, and sexual dysfunction. Uh, Clearly, you know, we see a lot of that in the clinic. Um, Unhealed shame um, often leads to love affairs, divorce, suicide, and we're going to get into the details of why that is so. So much of the conflict in a relationship is really due to the differences we have and how a couple manages those differences. If couples complain or blame, it can trigger shame and undermine our self-worth. So we're in relationships to feel good. And shame really doesn't feel good. In fact, shame is the most intolerable emotion that we can experience because it invalidates who we are, and that feels terrible. So, Mark, would you clarify the difference between guilt and shame? That's an important jumping off point. So, guilt and shame are like cousins, and and oftentimes we conflate them because we feel them at the same time. But we need, as we're going forward, to clarify to have some working definitions of what is the difference between these two. So the easier definition, rather than using the Webster Dictionary type of definition, is to think of it from our internal voice, what we're saying to ourselves or what people might say to us. So let's start with um, guilt. And um, when we define guilt from our internal voice, guilt says... I did a bad thing. So if you think about that, if you're feeling guilty, oh my gosh, I've done something wrong. I I did a bad thing. So shame, on the other hand, when we experience that, the voice says, I am a bad thing. So there's, there's a little difference here between doing and being. And so if you think about this, um, guilt is a behavioral infraction. It's something that we do wrong, and it's correctable. So, for example, if I break grandma's vase, I can say, hey, sorry, grandma, I broke your vase. I'll buy you a new one, and we buy grandma a new vase, and and we're good to go. 
But shame, on the other hand, is an identity. So if we break grandma's vase and we tell ourselves, oh my gosh, I'm so clumsy, I'm always breaking things. Or worse yet, if grandma labels us and goes, you're such a clumsy kid, you're always doing that. And we internalize that and believe ourselves to be less than other people. Then we're experiencing shame because shame is an identity. So that's an important thing to understand up front as we get into this, because all of us are wanting to be loved. We all um, have a sense of self-worth, and we don't want to be undermining our own sense of self-worth, or we don't want it to be undermined by other people. So feeling good is about getting rid of that uh, shamey feeling. So, Mark, could you give us an example of how shame um, works in relationships? So, probably a good example um, is a typical clinical example that we'd see when couples come in. Um, Often, couples come to see us because um, their sex drives are different. We call that desire discrepancy. And so, they come in and they go, hey, you know, we have a problem and you know, my, my partner wants to have sex all the time or and my sex drive has just fallen off a cliff. And usually in the beginning stages of a relationship, um, there's all of this limerence, all of this excitement, all this courtship going on. And so our, our hormones and the, the time commitment we have because we're looking for our beloved um, is focused on this this wonderful feeling that we have and we get excited and we feel sexual. And we, we may or may not become sexually active um, initially, but it, it soon leads, leads to marriage or sexual activity. So um, once people get going and um, maybe they have some children and their hormone shift, this uh, occurs. So with this desire discrepancy, when couples come in, um, the higher drive person is often uh, frustrated and the lower drive person often feels guilty or put upon. And so the, the typical dynamic is, um, you know, it, maybe the, it's evolved to the point where the lower drive person is telling the higher drive person, I think you're a sex addict. You're just pestering me all the time. You're a sex pest. So back off. <laughs> <laughs> and the lower drive person, um, you know, is feeling this, um, resentment, and the higher drive person is feeling like, "Hey, that's not how it used to be. You used to be excited about me. This probably means you're not into me, or you don't love me anymore. And plus, sex is like food to me. I'm I'm starving over here. So this is a typical dynamic that gets set up in a relationship where, as people try to resolve this, instead of asking for what they want, they complain about what they don't have. And that um, that starts to push shame buttons. Well, we know what that feels like, We've don't we, there. Mark? Yeah. Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, been there, done that. So, Mark, how can couples get out of that trap? Well, that's what we're going to make the main topic today. So, I'm going to pretend as though the audience is actually um, a patient in our clinic, and I'll give you an abbreviated version of a session I would do with you if you came in and we were gonna do some patient education and teach you about shame dynamics. So so I'm gonna be a little bit uh, technical and scientific for a moment to sort of lay some ground worth, but hang, hang with me uh, because um, towards the end of the, um, 
of our segment today. We're going to uh, talk about how that may apply in your own relationship and what you can do about it. So <clears throat> to get started, uh, we want to take a look at um, affect theory. Now, don't get scared. You know, this isn't going to be too dry. <laughs> um, but affect theory was developed kind of around the 1940s by a scientist named Sylvan Tompkins. And he was studying emotion and how that affected people um, in their lives and in their relationships. So this term affect um, refers to the way that we show emotion physically. So when you look at your partner, you see them happy or sad or you know, whatever that is. And so um, when they studied this, they came up with a number of different affects. And I'm not going to run through all the details of affect theory, but I want to point out the most pleasurable emotional experience and its affect versus the most uncomfortable. And that will give us some insight on why we want to be able to manage shame in, in an effective way. <clears throat> so, um, the first thing Tompkins came up with was um, they photographed people and they photographed babies and the, the look on babies' faces because babies um, show um, emotion uh, without being blocked. So the first um, affect, if you can picture in your mind, a happy two-year-old, smiling, excited to see you, not inhibited. And that he called enjoyment, joy. So enjoyment is the low level, joy is the high level. The second one um, he called interest, excitement. And if you picture that in your mind's eye, that's somebody like who's playing a video game or looking at you in a conversation intently. I'm interested, um, I'm excited. So those two affects are the feel-good affects that we want to experience in a relationship with our partner. And when I look across the microphone at Colette, that's the affect, and she's smiling at me right now, that, and, and Kimberly's doing that, our assistant, and that's the affect that we want, is we want that interest, excitement, and enjoyment, joy. The opposite of that um, is um, shame. So shame, the affect of shame is no eye contact. That's like um, looking away, looking down. When we feel shame, we don't feel like we're okay or we feel like somebody else doesn't love us or thinks that we're wrong or bad. So we're looking down, looking away, and we just wish we could go in the other room or the hole would open in the floor and we could disappear. So I hope as an audience you're identifying with these affects because this is what we're going to be talking about is that we want to mitigate shame, remove that out of relationships, not shame our partner. Because when that happens, we're contaminating and damaging the relationship. Um, so, um, our next um, move is that we're going to take a look at a tool to mitigate shame. And this is a tool that was developed by Donald Nathanson. Um, Donald Nathanson um, created a tool called the Compass of Shame. And so um, I want to walk you through how that um, uh, works. Um, 
So maybe we should take a break at this point and come back and, and I'll tell you a little bit more about um, uh, this Compass of Shame tool. What do you think, Claire? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Let's take a break now. But when we come back, we'll hear more from Dr. Mark Malin about psychosexual shame and how it affects relationships and your love life. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. What makes a great leader? Most have a vision, one that starts beyond the resources available and continues from that point into developing a solid plan, organization, and company. Leadership issues are discussed each week on VoltCast, illuminating leadership with host Jeff Smith. Jeff has years of experience as a leader and executive coach, and his guests will bring you information that can help a team of any size. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Making Love with Colette Milan. We'd love to hear from you today with your questions and comments. Please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to makingloveradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Making Love Radio. I'm your host, Colette Milan, and I'm here today with Dr. Mark Malin, and we've been talking about shame and how it affects couples. Mark, tell us more. Well, hey, it's good to be back, and um, so we're going to get into this tool um, from Donald Nathanson, um, The Compass of Shame. Nathanson has been uh, very insightful into um, understanding shame and he's probably one of the leaders in the field so um, he developed um, a, a tool that he calls a compass uh, because there's four things that happen typically when we experience shame as a reaction to it none of which make the shame go away 
or make us better. So um, he wants us to understand what those are and to find a way around those. So I want to walk you through that. So to do that, I want you to imagine in your mind's eye um, a compass rose. Looks like a cross and there's arrows going up and down and right and left. And we have north, south, east, and west. And at those four points, we're going to put these different um, um, reactions that we have when uh, we experience shame. And in the middle of that, imagine a button right at where the two, um, the two, the vertical and the horizontal lines cross. And paint it red, because that's your shame button. And when it gets pushed, you're probably going to do this stuff. So... Um, To illustrate this, um, I want to tell you a story, and it'll bring it a little bit more to life. So I want you to imagine yourself as a child, and because I'm a guy, I'm going to tell it from a boy's perspective, but if you're a woman listening, you can put yourself into this uh, place. So so this boy um, lives in Hawaii. Let's give it a really nice setting, and, and I'm... I'm a bit older, and so I'm going to put it in my era. And this is the late 1950s and early 1960s. So um, Hawaii at that time on the North Shore, I lived there, and that's why I'm picking this as a, a setting. Um, it was very quiet. Um, it was idyllic. It was a great place to be. Uh, my parents were retired. Um, but this little boy was um, too young to go to school and so he would spend a lot of time with his mom and there was a little mom and pop store in town it belonged to a Chinese family had a big sign on the top that said Goo's store G-O-O and so um, this was a family name it's a Chinese name and it was run by Charlie Goo so everybody loved Mr. Goo the kids had come over here for penny candy after school so mom's taking this boy to the store and shopping and of course um, it's a little town and she runs into her girlfriends and they want to talk and visit and if you remember being a child standing next to your mom while she's visiting with her girlfriend it gets old really fast (laughs) and so um so um he would wander down the aisles of the store looking for something to do And one day he noticed the toilet paper aisle was rather interesting and thought, oh, my gosh, you know, if I grab these rolls of toilet paper and pull them out, I could build a really cool fort. And so that's what he did. He pulled them out and built a nice little castle and was playing cowboys and Indians. And so uh, mom comes around and sees this and goes, oh, my gosh, um, that's cute, but um, I don't think Mr. Goo's going to like that, so we need to put all this stuff back. And, oh, look, you kind of poke some holes in some of the plastic, so I can't have you do, be doing those things. So mom has come up with this brilliant thing that moms do called bribery, and she says, if, if you'll be a good boy and stay with me and help me push the cart and be patient, when we get to checkout, you can pick out one thing that you like, and I'll buy it for you. So, like, woohoo, you know, this sounds great. And so, um, at checkout, um, there were lots of options, but uh, for this little boy, 
Um, it was the golden age of comic books, and Mr. Goo has a comic book rack, and this is really the go-to thing. So he's very excited, gets to pick out a comic and take it home. So this became the routine. Every, every time they'd go to the store, he'd get a new comic, and he'd really look forward to it. So that worked fine until one day his friends came over and showed him their baseball cards. And in those days, baseball card bubblegum was the thing to have, and it was sort of new. And he wanted this so he could, like, trade with his friends, but he really wanted his comics. And so he did what little boys do and said, oh, mom, please, you know, won't you please give me, you know, these baseball cards? And mom goes, um, you can have one thing. I'm not going to spoil you. So it's up to you. You can get the comics for the baseball cards. So it was always the comics because um, you needed to know what the next episode was. Um, so every time he'd leave the checkout stand, he'd see those baseball cards at the point of checkout. And his juju would call to him like, oh, I need you to come home with me. And so one day the cards listened. And one of those packs of cards all by itself jumped right off the rack and landed right in this boy's pocket. And out the door he went. And so um, this was his first shoplifting experience. And as he went out the door, he wasn't feeling guilty or shameful. He was happy because now he had what he wanted. But when he climbed in the car with his mom, um, and these were the days before seat belts, so he's sitting in the front seat of their 1956 Buick uh, with no seat belts, and mom can look over there and see these baseball cards sticking out of his pocket. And she goes, where did you get that? And it's fairly obvious. And and he's going, well, I got it from Mr. Goo. Uh, so he tried to, to cover, tried to make an excuse, but no, mom's not going to be fooled here. And she goes, um, you took that, didn't you? And so not saying too much now, but um, mom's usually pretty nice and mom's really upset right now and she raises her voice and she yells and she says, you are a bad boy. And of course, you know, when you're five, mom's God and so if you've been pronounced a bad boy, <laughs> that's your new identity. So what's happening here is... Um, for this boy, um, he realizes he's done something wrong. So he is in the wrong, and he should feel guilty about that. That would be healthy to have that healthy guilt. But his mom has said, you are a bad boy, and has given him this identity. And he's buying into this. He's seeing that I'm different than I used to be. I, I'm bad. I'm a bad person. And what mom meant is you did a bad thing, but she said you're a bad boy. So this happens to all of us with parenting at some point. So how is this applicable? Well, let's go to our compass of shame now. So I want you to visualize the compass again, and your red button just got pushed. And so now your shame button's pushed. And the first thing you're going to do is you're going to do what Nathanson calls attack self. So attack self is when you go, oh my gosh, that's true. I am a bad boy. And you, and you feel really bad about that. So we're going to place attack self um, to the right of the compass. 
this would be the east easterly direction if you're visualizing this in your mind's eye. So he's feeling, oh my gosh, you know, I am a bad boy, feeling shameful and horrible, and kind of just sitting with that. And there's this cold silence driving home. Mom's doesn't know what to do with this kid who's turned into a thief, and he's feeling terrible about having this, and the shine's coming off the cards. Um, on the drive, another thing happens to him emotionally, and he realizes he's in the wrong, but he thinks, you know what, my mom lost it. She's being a bad mom. You know, maybe I'm a problem, but, but, but she's a problem too. And so when we push back, when somebody pushes our shame button, Nathanson calls that attack other. So like, I'm not the problem, you're the problem is an emotional defense that we can have um, against shame. Um, <clears throat> so they continue to go. He doesn't say anything, of course. He's not going to verbalize this to his mom and get in more trouble. So now they're driving along, cold silence. He's turning away, looking out the window. He doesn't want to see his mom. He wants to get away from her because this is embarrassing. Um, embarrassment is a, a form of shame. And when they drive into the driveway, he pops open the car door and runs away. I just want to get away from mom. She's mad at me. Goes into the backyard, climbs up into his treehouse. He's got a blanket and pillow up there. And so that's a place he can get away from the, sh the shaming source. So this third thing that he's done, Nathanson calls withdrawal. So when our shame button gets pushed, um, we can attack ourselves, we can push back and attack the other person, but the third thing we can do is that we can withdraw and we can just get away from, either emotionally withdraw or physically withdraw, as, as in this case. So if you're following me so far, attack self is on the right, it's on the um, east, attack others on the west, and withdrawal we're going to put in the north position. So you should have that visualized in your mind's eye. So now he's up in the treehouse. He doesn't feel quite as bad because he's not in trouble as much. Um, and he's got his comic, and so he starts reading that. And uh, before long, he's lost in this cool story about uh, Superman and trying to save Lois Lane and, you know, kryptonite and all that stuff. And so um, he's getting distracted. And Nathanson calls this avoidance. So anything that we do to distract ourselves or comfort ourselves in some sort of way so we don't think about the shame or feel it um, is called avoidance. And we're going to put this in the southern position of this compass of shame. So now you kind of have these four dynamics um, that we're learning that happens to us when our shame trigger gets pushed or our button. Attack ourselves, attack the other person, withdraw and get away, or do something so that you don't think or feel about it. So that's sort of our basic framework. Um, and before I go to the solution and, and, and what we do about this, instead of feeling these four icky things, um, we want to think about how bad this can get if we don't do something about it. So, um, so Colette, um, if we, if we went to attack self, if that never got resolved and it became chronic and internalized, 
what happens? Um, what's the very worst thing that could happen to somebody that would be attacking themselves? Well, the most extreme, I think, would be suicide. Exactly. Is, is that, okay. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and you know that from our clinical work when we have patients that come in that have deep internalized shame about their identity. And so um, it's important to know this because if this doesn't get taken care of, this can be the result. And we see it a lot with youth um, who have damaged self-worth. Um, it's, it's prominent in the LGBT community because um, as you're growing up and you're having those experiences, you don't fit in to the model of society. And so a lot of youth become suicidal and they're very high risk for that. Um, adults become suicidal as well. So, so that's the suicide is the extreme of attack self. What do you think it would be for attack other? Um, the extreme, I the extreme. think. Yeah, the extreme, yeah. How bad could yeah. this really get? I think that could get to murder or homicide. Yeah. So that's you know, if you're going to really attack somebody, the ultimate, you're going to kill them. And so we see this in in gang um, action. We see it in um, um, sometimes in the media. We'll see that uh, um, couples um, kill their partner. And if there's deep internalized shame in the relationship, it can push that far. So um, what about withdrawal? So withdrawal, again, is that you're moving away. I don't want to be around you. If we took that to the extreme, if you were so shamed in your partnership, what would happen? Well, probably you'd want to end the relationship, and it could lead to divorce. And that's what we see, right? People, mm-hmm. people are coming in. Um, they're at the end of their rope. They have a lot of internalized shame in their relationship. And so they They call up and say, hey, we're going to come and see you guys. And how long have you been married? Oh, 30 years. But, you know, if you don't save us, we're going to get divorced. And so, like, um, could, you, could we just come in and could you in a few sessions turn this around? <laughs> so... Um, so uh, divorce is what happens, you know, when, when we go to the extreme of uh, withdrawal or a breakup of a friendship. So now we come to avoidance um, on the southern end of the, of the compass. Um, when we keep repeating something to distract us that feels good over and over again, what does that develop into? Um, the extreme of avoidance, I would think, would be addiction. Yeah, so we become compulsive or habitual, or and the, the extreme would be addiction, especially if we're using chemicals to avoid. So chemical avoidance would be, you know, alcohol, recreational drugs, even prescription drugs. And um, this is a big problem in our society. And as we're looking for solutions, social solutions to those problems, it's really important that we understand that a lot of it is driven by um, our sense of self-worth and internalized shame. So, um, so that's what happens um, when it gets really bad. And so I wanted to point that out. Um, and I wanted to make some commentary about sexuality as well, because with sexuality, um, when there's shame around that, when a couple comes in, uh, like, you know, I'm not good in, I'm not a good lover, or I'm not a good uh, partner, or you're not into me, or um, or if your hormones go flat and you feel like you've lost desire and you're, and you're getting in conflict like we modeled earlier, 
then you may do one, two, three, or all four of these things. So you can beat yourself up and go, I'm a bad partner because I'm overbearing and I want sex so much, or I'm a bad partner because um, my partner uh, wants sex from me and, and, and I don't feel it. And then you can blame each other and that turns into an attack, self-attack, other. And then everybody has the fight and we withdraw. We don't want to go continue the argument, so we pull away from each other. We feel distant and bad. And then, you know, if we use alcohol, we might go to the bar, you know, and cry onto the bartender's um, shoulder. So um, avoidance is a bit tricky in its extreme because um, uh, when it turns into addiction, there's the socially disapproved of addictions. And so... You know, if we become alcoholic or we're using drugs to escape or we're overeating or uh, we're, we have a shopping addiction or, you know, a gambling addiction or, you know, uh, looking at erotic fantasy material too much, then what happens is if our partner becomes aware of that, they'll point it out to us and go like, hey, look, you're just turning into this horrible, you know, drug addict person. Or we may tell that to ourselves, and all that does is go back and push the shame button again, and we find ourselves in this circular loop of avoidance and then shame and then avoidance and shame. Um, The other side of avoidance um, that's tricky is that um, there's what we call um, socially approved um, avoidance. And... I'm going to save that one for just a minute because it looks like we've come time to a commercial break. So when we come back, um, we're going to talk about that. So hang on because this one's um, important. Yes. Let's take a break now. And uh, Dr. Malin, when we come back, will continue to talk to us about shame and how we can heal that in our relationship. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Second Wind Success, hosted by Gene Garino, is all about helping boomers catch their second wind in business and life. Most of us achieve our greatest success after the age of 50. Life has a learning curve with a few stumbling blocks along the way. As long as you stay committed to your vision and adapt along the way, you'll find the success you're looking for. Tune in to Second Wind Success every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. 
This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Making Love with Colette Milan. We'd love to hear from you today with your questions and comments. Please call into the program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to makingloveradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Making Love Radio. I'm your host, Colette Milan, and today I've been talking to Dr. Mark Malin about shame and how it affects relationships. So, good to be back. And so, we left you with sort of hanging on avoidance. And so, <clears throat> this other thing that happens with avoidance is that... Um, as I said before, there's the socially disapproved of avoidances that are like um, um, addictions that are like chemical use um, or shopping. Um, but there's um, there are socially approved things, and these sometimes have their own type of danger. So th- this is overworking. This is being a perfectionist. This is um, sort of um, overdoing. It, um, is, is a socially approved way of doing that. So becoming the CEO of your company, um, good things. Um, but if you're doing the right thing, but for the wrong reason, if you're doing this because you're trying to feel good about who you are and you don't have a good, uh, strong sense of self-worth, then um, this isn't a healthy way to be doing what you're doing. So this gets formed like when you're a teenager and your kids, you're a kid and your parents have um, an expectation that you're a 4.0 student. Or if you grow up in a family where um, achievement is how you experience love in your family. So you're not told, hey, we love you regardless of, you know, whether you get good grades or not. There's an implication that, no, you better get good grades or else, you know, mom and dad aren't going to be too happy with you. So any of this type of programming in in your childhood or self-talk can set you up to become this um, overachiever person. Um, The other thing that can trigger this is in a relationship relationship. and I'll use an example of a couple that came in, a physician who um, had a very bad sex life with his partner, and she had sexual aversion, and so sexuality just kind of creeped her out, and they were in a very difficult relationship, and so for him to cope with that, he had he had gotten multiple master's degrees <laughs> where he would... Uh, take his spare time and, and invest it into um, learning and he could feel good about himself and provide for his family but he was feeling a, a whole lot of shame um, in the relationship and she was as well so we we don't want to be doing this avoidance uh, thing so um, we need a way out of these four reactions attack self attack other 
withdrawal and avoidance. So to show you the way out, we're going to have a fifth dimension. And this is not on uh, Nathanson's compass. I've sort of added this um, as a fifth arrow. So you can sort of put that um, where you want it to do instead of. So to illustrate that, I'm going to go back to our, our child story in Hawaii. And so um, it's the end of the day. The little boy who's been up in the treehouse reading comics, he's run out of comic book. He can't avoid anymore. It's time to go in the house and eat. He goes back in and he realize, realizes he's still in trouble. Mom's looking down on him. He's a bad boy. And so they eat dinner. Mom's not on his case too much. It's bedtime. She comes to tuck him into bed and say prayers with him. And so this is the teaching moment. This is where she wants to have a little talk. And she goes, so how are you feeling about what happened today? And he doesn't say much. <laughs> he kind of shrugs his shoulders. And she goes, well, you know, I can see you're not too happy about that. Is that true? And he goes, yeah, I don't like that you're mad at me, and I feel bad. And she says, well, I'm going to show you how to fix this. So she said, um, I realize that you've been asking me for this, um, um, some ex for a, an extra treat that you wanted the, the baseball cards, and I've been telling you no because, um, you know, that's not something that's a good idea for me to give you and spoil you. So... What we're going to do instead is that um, you need to have a little job, some pocket money, so that you can pay for that when you go to the store instead of stealing it. So tomorrow I want you to like uh, come and work in the garden with me and earn some money. So they do that, and um, she says, and next time we go to the store, if you really want to feel better, you need to go to Mr. Goo and tell him you're sorry and pay for what you took. And she said, if you do that... Um, you'll feel better about yourself and you, you won't be a bad boy anymore. So that's terrifying. He doesn't want to go see Mr. Goo and fess up. But anyway, they go to the store and um, he does and puts a nickel in Mr. Goo's hand and says, hey, I'm sorry I uh, took these and, and, and I want to pay for them. And of course, Goo's awesome. And he says... I can't believe that you'd come back and do that. Most kids wouldn't do that. I'm proud of you. And so the feeling of pride is really the opposite of shame. Pride is a feeling of enjoyment, joy, and interest, excitement. And so he walks out of the store feeling better, having learned a lesson. And so for us, as the listener, as the viewer, as the audience, as the therapists, we learn that um, shame is um, never true. Whatever the shaming statement is that says that you're a defective human being for a behavior that you have done is a lie. And so you have to look back on shame and go, wait, I am not a bad person. I stole some stuff and that was a bad thing. So what we do to, to get rid of that uh, problem of shame instead of attacking or withdrawing or avoiding, we simply invalidate the shaming statement because shame is never true. We are never defective as human beings. We do a lot of bad stuff, and that we need to own. But by doing that, we move it from the shame category into the healthy guilt category, 
where we can go and say, hey, I'm sorry, Grandma, I broke your vase, or I'm sorry, Mr. Goo, that I stole the gum. So in a relationship, we want to see how does this apply? You know, what do we do now that we've educated patients and they've come in and they've learned this pattern? Well, what you want to do in your relationship is all relationships have expectations. And there's a dynamic, an emotional dynamic in a relationship that sort of looks like this. Um, The authentic me is a threat to the authentic you and your sense of emotional security. So that's sort of a, a deeper emotional way to look at this. And how it plays out is that um, there's something you want from your partner that they can't do for you. And so you either guilt trip them or you, you um, ask um, by blaming or shaming. And their response is probably going to be a blaming, shaming response. So all couples have this circular triggering that they do with each other where the one person says, hey, you're not good enough. And the other person comes back and says, hey, you're not good enough either. Remember this collapse? <laughs> yeah, so, I remember that. Yeah, so 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 in our relationship, when Colette had low drive, I would go, "Hey, you don't love me anymore. I don't think you're that great of a wife. You need to go fix yourself." And she'd come back to me and go, "Like, I wouldn't have to work so hard if you had a good job." So, <laughs> um, so we would we would push each other's shame button, and it didn't make us feel close. And we had to learn to stop doing that and ask for what we want. So. That's a little bit of a preview of, um, you know, the work that has to be done to heal from shame. First of all, identify the shaming message that's coming into your relationship, either from yourself or your partner, where you say you're not good enough. Move it into the, hey, maybe we have a problem category and let's see what we can do about it without blaming each other. And uh, we do a thing in the clinic that we call collaborative marriage skills that teaches couple how to communicate with each other and ask for what they want instead of complaining for what they have. And the kicker with that is we teach people how to do compassionate listening instead of reactive listening. So reactive listening is like, oh, I'm thinking of my reply to you compassionate listening is I'm being you I'm feeling what you feel I care about what you want and I want to make that come true as much as I can and so if you have two people caring about each other in that more advanced caring way doing compassionate listening wanting to meet each other's needs and being able to talk about it without blaming and shaming and fighting then we can turn around a relationship and push it in the direction of love So everything that we're teaching you here are love tools. Uh, The compass of shame is a very powerful self-awareness and couple relationship tool. And we've kind of given you a hint of what that looks like today and some examples of that. And um, so if you're hurting, if you're in a place where you uh, um, are identifying what we're talking about, then um, this could be one of the tools that you could use to start turning things around um, in your relationship. And um, um, you have our website and our phone numbers on there. So, um, so Colette, as, as, as we're talking about this, um, I think we only have a couple minutes left. Um, 
So, um, okay, so you see this all the time, right, when people come in. Yeah, and like you said, we experienced it firsthand. That was something that we needed to change in our relationship is to stop blaming each other. So, um, well, this has been... This has been a great show, and I. Um, well, before before, uh, don't we have a couple more minutes? What what do we have left? Three and a half. Oh, three minutes. <laughs> okay. Well, hey. So I let you know. Let's talk a little bit about um, our relationship. Okay. Um, and you know, things that we have done where we were stuck in this pattern, and, and we gave this example earlier, where it's like. You were saying, um, I was coming to you, we had just had children, I think you were still nursing, I didn't understand that your hormones were out of balance and what that would do to you, and I just simply felt like, oh my gosh, you know, she's into motherhood, she's not my girlfriend and romantic with me anymore, and um, I just don't feel like that you love me anymore, and so when I'd come and complain about that, or that would push your button, and how, what would you feel, what would you think? Yeah. Um, so I just remember you saying, why aren't you attracted to me? And I, I felt like I am attracted to you. But sometimes the way you would come to me is kind of shaming. And it would make me feel defensive. And would it, it would also repel me. I'd go into the, what did you say, withdrawal? withdrawal. Yeah, where yeah. I'd want to get away from you, which was the opposite of what you wanted. And avoid by... Working, right? Yeah. Which I would yeah. come and complain about and say, hey, you're a workaholic. Yeah, which is kind of hard when you're a mother, you're on call 24-7, yeah. you know. And so, so then you would come back and tell me what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so well, I would say to you, um, you're kind of a work at, I mean, a, a sex addict. Yes. Yeah, so, so, and you know, I wasn't a sex addict. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, dang, we, you know, it's getting fun talking about us, but I guess we do have to end. Um, you know what? Thank you so much, honey, for coming on this show. It's so I, fun to, to do this with you. Thanks for having me be here. Yeah. So, um, as you can see, one of Dr. Malin's specialties is treating psychosexual shame. And if you're interested in contacting Dr. Malin, visit our website at www.sextherapyutah.com where you can find out more about both of us and the work we do to help couples have a better love life. Also on our website, you can listen to any of our radio shows at your convenience. Again, our website is www.sextherapyutah.com and don't forget to check us out on Facebook. Next week, we're going to have another fabulous show. I'm going to be interviewing Jeff Pollock, who is a hormone specialist, and we'll be talking about how hormones affect sexuality. Till we meet again, have a great weekend, and remember, making love really does make more love in a relationship, and real love is essential to great sex. Thank you so much for listening today. Be sure to join your host, Colette Milan, for another edition of Making Love next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great weekend. And remember these two things. Love making really will make more love in your relationship. And real love is essential to good sex.